0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with my fellow Regional Master Instructor, Ms. Wendy Batts. Wendy, how's everything going today?
1: That's great, Marty.
0: How are you? Good. Traveling again, as you can see, but it's all good.
1: Yes. I think what you're... I don't even know where you are these days. Are you in Philly?
0: I barely know where I am, but this week, Philadelphia, then to Vegas.
1: All right. Well, that's good. Well, lucky to have you around, Marty. Wherever we can find you and, and lock you down, it's only going to benefit us long term. So thanks for... Thanks for squeezing us in.
0: (laughs) Wouldn't miss it. Wouldn't miss it. I know we're both excited for this week's topic. I know that uh, you came up with a great idea. So why don't you tell everybody who we're bringing on and I'll do an introduction. Oh, yes. Well, today we
1: actually have um, Mr. Michael Watts joining us from Under Armour. And I know Marty's going to read his bio. But those of you guys that have been to Optima in the past have known that Mikey has been one of our special guests. And he is an expert when it comes to breathing. And uh, for those of you guys that really don't even know much about functional breathing, I think you're going to learn a ton today from this unbelievable presenter. Um, And so we're we're super, super excited to have him on board. And Marty, you want to kind of tell us a little bit more about his background?
0: Yeah, so Mike is an applied sports scientist and human performance expert focused on optimizing the health, wellness, and performance of athletes he works with. As part of his philosophy and methodology, he used an applied scientific method and integrated approach supporting athletes across many different sports, including judo Olympic champions, basketball MVPs, boxing world champions, track and field Olympians, Olympic running athletes, speed skating athletes at the Olympic level, and world-class CrossFit athletes. In 2002, Mike started his career as a personal trainer, transitioning to a full-time role as head of athlete performance the professional soccer players in 2006. He then spent 12 years working full-time with professional soccer players at the highest level across youth, senior, male, and female formats of the sport. During his tenure, he held roles at the English Premier League clubs and at the national team level for China and England. Today, he's an integral member of the human performance team in Under Armour, uncovering the latest research and insights to help make athletes better. Michael has many certifications. He has a master's in sports exercise science, PBC in sports performance and integrated nutrition, NSC certified strength conditioning coach, National Academy of Sports Medicine, PES, CES, CPT, and let's not forget the stretch and flexibility coach.
1: All right, just a few.
2: Just a few. <laughs> well,
1: let's bring them in. So, Michael, thank you so, so much for being here today. We are um, really honored that you're taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule. I know you have also been traveling the world lately so i know your time zones are a little messed up these days and you know you're coming um to us from the west coast so i know um you know obviously we're in the middle of your work day so we do appreciate you uh you know coming on to the master instructor Roundtable. and um today we're going to be talking a little bit about advanced breathing techniques and um first and foremost i think you know before we get diving really deep into breathing, can you kind of tell us a little bit about functional breathing and exactly what that means?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Good, good morning, Wendy. Uh, hey, Marty. You, you make me feel really old reading that bio. Um, <laughs> you want to feel old? read yeah. mine. Wow. <laughs> but it, it, I think, I think before we get there, Wendy, like my my journey within this career started with the NASM um, and that was the first ever qualification I did was the CPT going back like in the early 2000s and the principles have still stuck with me to this day with any athlete or client I've trained and sort of around six and a half seven years ago started looking at breathing as a health wellness and and performance advantage to the athletes athletes I'm working with and there's so many crossovers and correlations with how we breathe and how we move. And I think most people will be familiar to movement efficiency um, from the NASM, and I very much talk about breathing efficiency now. And when we talk about breathing efficiency, we're really looking at somebody's capacity to be a functional breather. And I think, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like for somebody? And if you were to observe someone who breathes in a functional manner, It's with the nose, it has an inhale, an exhale, and a natural pause, which you don't often see. It's quiet, it's slow, and it's deep. So there's this three-dimensional expansion from the sort of lower two ribs as the diaphragm's active. And really, if somebody's at rest or during very low intensity activity, you shouldn't really notice somebody's breathing. And that's how we would observe a functional breathing pattern. And I think that's that's a place we can all start is observe our clients, observe our athletes and just say, how are they breathing? Is it with the mouth? Is it with the nose? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it noisy? Is it quiet? Is it high? Is it low? And these are telltale signs of what is somebody's breathing pattern? Is it leaning towards functional or, or dysfunctional? And that will lean us into have they got a good efficiency of breathing or, or a poor efficiency? So a very, very high level, Wendy, that's how we'd we'll sort of frame up what functional breathing is.
0: That's excellent.
2: So, you know, you talked to already
0: on a very high level about assessing and observing someone's breathing, you know, can you expand on that a little bit, you know, with your assessments where you start from, and then maybe tie that into, you know, what happens when people pick up the intensity of their exercise?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we, we can do a couple of things with, with breath work. One would be more observational, which we just sort of address there. And then the other, we, we could get more into objective tests. One of the tests that I like to use, which is in the literature, um, it's just got a breath hold test. Um, from my background of training in the oxygen advantage, which was created by um, Patrick McKeon, who's authored a number of books in that world. We use the same type of test, but it's called a bolt test. And really what it's doing is looking at somebody's sensitivity towards carbon dioxide. And all, all the test is a simple normal breath in, normal breath out. They take a natural pause on the exhale. The timer starts and we're timing that breath hold. They hit this first sign of air hunger or this first need to breathe. They take a normal breath in through the nose and continue the breathing and that time would assess whether they are dysfunctional or functional, and if somebody can hit 25 seconds or above, they're probably leading to more functional states of breathing, and if they're 25 seconds or below, they're probably on the fence towards more dysfunctional, and that's just a very simple test of having a look at somebody's sensitivity to CO2. We can take them in the lab, and we can do a number of tests that, again, is in the literature, but I think these these field-based assessments and tests are more practical, they're more applied. Think about the observational side, and then also think about maybe looking at somebody's sensitivity to carbon dioxide through that BOLT test or that that breath hold test. Uh
1: Thank you. So, So those of you guys that are joining us today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, I'm here with Marty Miller, and we have a very, very special guest, Mr. Um, Michael Watts joining us um, here from Under Armour in the Human Performance Lab. And, um, you know, we're talking about advanced breathing and functional breathing, if you will. And, you know, you're talking, you know, obviously defining it, which I think is extremely important so people know why they're here today. And then you're talking about being able to assess and observe. But all reality, I mean, you know, for us, it's talking about breathing in and out. That's what, what a lot of us trainers, we just tell people to breathe. But, you know, when you're really thinking about these different assessments and and looking at breathing as a whole, can you kind of tell us why does why does this matter? I mean, it's important to breathe, so I don't mean it in that, that layman's terms, but like with what you're saying with the assessments, like why is that so important?
2: Yeah, well, I think we all realize we breathe fairly often. I think it can be up to like 20,000 times per day. So we know it's an important function and the function is usually just a, a subconscious function that, that happens. Um, I always talk to people and say, it's the first thing we do when we're born and it's the last thing we do when we die. So it plays a very important role in, in, in our cycle of life. And then we start to think, well, it's something we all do anyway, because if we don't do it, we're not going to survive. But if we can do it properly or add more efficiency or function, like what are the benefits? What does this mean to me? So when we start thinking about the benefits of functional breathing or or, or having an increased efficiency, we can start to think about, I can deliver more oxygen to the cells and the tissue. And we know as physiologists sports scientists that we wanna deliver oxygen to the working tissue. And through functional breathing and one of the pillars that we'll talk about, we can start to deliver more oxygen to the, the cells and the tissue. We can think about how Functional breathing is this first line of defense and how it can protect us from pathogens and bacteria and help protect us a little bit. We can think about breathing in, in terms of the biomechanics and we can think about movement efficiency and we're very familiar to core stability and how we have that lumbopelvic hip complex. And we think about internal obliques, multifidus transverse abdominus and the diaphragm. Our diaphragm is our primary muscle to breathe. So we can activate our diaphragm. We know that it helps with movement efficiency. It helps um, improve or or reduce pain in the lower back and the the neck. And then we think about another side of breathing in terms of how you think dictates how you breathe and how you breathe dictates how you think. And by this, we mean that autonomic system of, of response in the nervous system. So some of us will be familiar to the parasympathetic side and the sympathetic side. Breathing very much is dictated by that pathway. So for example, if we're in a stressful situation, whether it's physically or, or, or mentally, our breathing becomes fast and with the mouth, and that can trigger that sympathetic pathway. Whereas if our breathing slow, light, and quiet, it can trigger the parasympathetic pathway. So it plays a really important role in stress reduction, improving sleep quality, putting our mind and our body in a state that we can receive recovery. It might be the the flip where we want to be more alert and, and ready to go. It could be more oxygen to cells. It could be just more movement efficiency. So it really is entwined in this holistic or integrated approach to what I call health, wellness and performance. And if we can breathe properly, it's gonna benefit along a a, a long and wide continuum for sure.
0: Now that's fascinating. So how do you build this into your programming for your client's lifestyle?
2: So I think any practitioner we like to try and assess. So we wanna understand what functionality they have. And if they are dysfunctional versus functional, then we have to take different steps. And you can think of like the, the parallels between maybe the OPT continuum If someone has a dysfunctional movement pattern, we're probably not going into power training and max strength. We're gonna look at probably the stability and endurance. Breathing's no different. If you have a dysfunctional breathing pattern, we're gonna try and restore a functional breathing pattern before we start to experiment with breath holds or other types of exercises that are a little bit more stressful. So really just thinking about somebody's onboarding the 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 one thing that we see are these two pathways so we have a health and wellness or we have a performance pathway and it doesn't matter whether i'm working with an olympic level athlete or a client who just says they're really stressed and anxious i always start with restoring a normal breathing pattern and bringing a consciousness to breathing and by that i simply say every time you think about your breathing throughout the day all i want you to do is switch to the nose take a normal breath in, a normal breath out, and a natural pause, and consciously think about that until you forget. And that is the start point for anyone I work with in breathing of, just bring a consciousness to your breathing. That's all I need you to do. In, out, pause, with the nose, and try and make it as calm and quiet as possible. And that is the first place to start, Martin. It sounds really basic, really simple, but people, because it's such a subconscious process of breathing they almost don't know how they breathe and and if you were to ask that question are you functional are you dysfunctional everyone always goes to i'm functional like i'm a functional breather like i don't have an issue but once we start thinking about it then we catch ourselves breathing too high breathing too fast breathing with our mouth breathing too noisy and then we have to reset again so the first place marty is super simple consciousness back to the breath work. And all I want you to do is in, out, pause, or with the nose. I like simple.
1: I like simple too, but you know, um, those of you guys that are joining Marty Miller and I today on the master instructor Roundtable, we're here with, with Michael Watts and he's talking about advanced breathing techniques. And again, talking about, you know, what it is and how we assess it. Now he's talking about how he programs it. When you're saying, you know, in, out and pause and be consciously aware of what you're doing, Is there a certain, like a guide that you give them? Like it should take three seconds in, three seconds out and pause. So like you're teaching them or, you know, because I know that there's shallow breathers, there's deep breathers. Um, You know, when you say just consciously do it, is there a way that you kind of guide them into what they should be doing?
2: Yeah. So, so really what we touch upon is we want someone to breathe light, slow and deep. So those three areas And when we talk about a tempo of breathing or a cadence of breathing, we start to put a condition on how long is the inhale, how long is the exhale and how long is the pause. And when we start with somebody, we don't put any conditions on because if we start to play around with a inhale and exhale, we can start to change the physiology. So for example, if I say to you both, I want you to inhale for four seconds, Exhale for six seconds and take a natural pause. That's gonna work at around six breaths per minute. Six breaths per minute consciously is a very, very slow breathing rate, which in the literature we see elicits that more parasympathetic tone. So that's a really good exercise to drive you towards relaxation state, but it's going to increase the amount of carbon dioxide in the blood. If you're dysfunctional in your breathing pattern, let's say your breath hold time or your bolt score is 10 seconds, it's going to be really stressful for you. So it's actually probably going to push you into a sympathetic state, not parasympathetic state. So understanding the assessment is really important, but the tempo or cadence breathing is really important. It's important we get somebody there. I usually suggest we start at three to four seconds in, three to four seconds out take a natural pause. So once they've established the functional breathing pattern, then we can start to introduce the cadence or the tempo and three to four in three to four out with a one second pause is a really nice place to start just to start to condition that slower breathing pattern. And then when we can, we can start to elongate the exhale, which has added benefits in terms of the biochemistry biomechanics, but as we get into more like cadence and tempo, we have the added uh, layer of what we call resonant frequency breathing. And what this basically means is we all have our own frequency of breathing. And we talk about six breaths per minute to elicit the parasympathetic response. It may well be that Wendy, yours is five and a half. Marty, yours is five and mine is six and a half. We have to do some biofeedback in order to nail that down, but a safe place to start with somebody is three to four seconds, inhale, exhale. Once they're comfortable with that, then we start to go to four to four and then we can start to play around with the ratios of a longer exhale than an inhale. Okay.
0: For those of you just joined us, we have Mikey Watts from Under Armour Performance talking about advanced breathing techniques. So Mike, is there a difference between males and females?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's the, the, the science that we're starting to look at in terms of respiratory physiology, uh, the biomechanics There's definitely big differences. One of the probably most apparent and obvious is on average women are smaller. They have smaller breathing, um, capacity. So when we get into harder intensities of exercise, it places a higher demand, so to speak on the respiratory system, just think smaller rib cage. and and that smaller capacity, so less air can come in. So they're having to work a little bit harder. I think where there's some really exciting research that, that we're starting to see is around the menstrual cycle and how the menstrual cycle influences breathing. And it's all again, due to the sensitivity to carbon dioxide. So if you have a high sensitivity to carbon dioxide, it can trigger a more dysfunctional breathing pattern or more sympathetic breathing. So during the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle, just after ovulation, progesterone peaks, the hormone, and then what happens, the female becomes very, very sensitive to carbon dioxide. So that can trigger breathlessness or it can trigger that dysfunctional breathing, faster breathing, which can then trigger sort of more anxiety or a sort of busier, faster mind. So there are differences that we're seeing. So big consideration is, when we're working with female athletes or clients, maybe think about the work that you're going to do with them that day, because if they're in that luteal phase and they're very sensitive towards CO2 and you're trying to do high intensity type training or that anaerobic work, it might not work well for them because they're already in a dysfunctional breathing pattern where they're having to breathe fast and strong and then you're layering in something else. So you might think about, okay, today's a good day to do some aerobic conditioning. Or today's a good day to think about some of the strength training more in that sort of stability endurance type of, uh, of phase. So really thinking about how these layers add together, and then you can get into sort of the, the nutrition side of, okay, how, how should I eat during the cycle? How's that going to influence my breathing? How should I think, do I need to do more recovery, more meditation? Do I need more sleep? So it gets really um, interesting and complex. Um, but it's, it's an area that I'm starting to research a bit more with the athletes I work with. And I think that will, will continue to grow and, and and just be aware that there are differences.
1: Huh. So Mikey, there's a lot that goes on during that, during that time. So apparently we're dysfunctional in many, many ways and very sensitive, just so you know, we're very sensitive creatures. <laughs> um, but, uh, as you just pointed out, um, and now even more to think about, um, but is there like an ideal, cause you know, you just talked a little bit about, you know, the breathing in and out where you start. And I know this is kind of off topic, but I find this stuff absolutely fascinating, but is there, you know, what the OPT model, as you know, we hit, you know, our fifth, our fifth phase. And then after that, we go into undulating periodization and stuff. And I know with different programs, it's going to require a different amount of stress and breathing, um, patterns that we should, um, be able to, to do while we're doing these workouts. But, how do we know if we're we're on, you know, you said that I could be five and a half, Marty could be five, you could be six and a half. Is there like an optimal or ideal range that we're really shooting for long-term, even though we might be starting with a, a three, you know, three, three pause?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think simply six breaths per minute. So the reason why we want to do six breaths per minute is to drive us into the parasympathetic state or, or help with that rest and digest. And if we're going to do that as an individual, and we think about athlete journeys and the question of where to program, that's a really good exercise to do prior to sleep in the evening to sort of down regulators or join a recovery session. So aiming for four seconds in, six seconds out, natural pause in those moments when you want to be calm and relaxed prior to sleep, join recovery is a really good rule for us all just to like start there and, and think, if I'm going to start programming breath work in, where are my areas of opportunity? Because the last thing we need is more things to do. And I always say, take breathing and piggyback it onto habits that you already do. I think most of us and most of our clients will train and recover and sleep and they'll have some practices. So understanding their, their journey and thinking where these techniques fit. So the six breaths per minute, is great for relaxation so put it in areas where they need to relax and that could be in a dedicated recovery session or it might be during a a, a sort of power nap or it could be prior to bed so it's super helpful and something i'd say go and have a try and and, and see sort of how that onboards you into into your night's sleep
0: i'm a big fan of power naps mike so thank you for that that justifies that i take a power nap
2: but can Absolutely. you
0: talk about, yeah, it's, it's only for my betterment, that's all. <laughs> so can you talk about altitude training? I know that's a big thing, whether it's either people traveling or going into studios that control the altitude. Can you cover, discuss that for us?
2: Yeah, so, so we, we, we look at altitude training and, and what we're trying to do in the physiology is create this hypoxic environment. So we're trying to lower the amount of oxygen available so the body forces and creates an adaptation. And we're usually looking for that adaptation to increase hematocrit level or the amount of oxygen in the hemoglobin and with the knock on effects of producing more sort of oxygenated red blood cells through sort of EPO and, and, and those type of things made famous by some athletes in the, in the nineties. So I think, I think it's been used a long time. We understand the benefits of trying to get our athletes at altitude, but. When we talk about the pathways of, of breathing, functional breathing, one performance pathway is the simulation of altitude and how we can create that hypoxic, hypercapnic response. So, hypoxic, dropping the amount of oxygen in the blood, hypercapnic, increasing the amount of CO2. And once we get our athletes or clients into a more functional state of breathing, we can start to introduce breath holds. So if you think about a breath hold in a functional manner, you take a breath in through the nose, you take a breath out through the nose and you hold and you hold and you hold and you hold. And the research and literature looks at around 30 seconds to start to elicit that adaptation to the hypercapnic hypoxic response. So as you hold your breath, and you can use a pulse oximeter on the finger to sort of see if you you getting that hypoxic response you'll see a drop in oxygen or spo2 so you'll see this drop you'll see this drop alternatively what's happening is you'll see an increase of um carbon dioxide in the blood so you're getting hypercapnic and we're getting the same adaptation as what you do if you sort of go up on a mountain two and a half thousand three thousand feet whatever it might be so The adaptation then starts to occur of immediately the spleen will contract and you can think about the spleen as your blood bank. So when it becomes under stress and pressure, the spleen contracts and it releases red blood cells. So it's something we can do prior to competition, prior to training is think about how we can use breath holds to release more red blood cells into the system over time what will happen as you start to do uh, breath holds consistently over a period of time, sort of four weeks, five weeks, you'll actually get an increase of EPO and what happens is you'll have a higher production of oxygenated red blood cells in the bone marrow, which will then be released. So we've started to experiment. We've started to see in the research that strong breath holds, severe breath holds can actually elicit the same response of pushing our athletes up to altitude. So if you have an athlete who either needs to compete at altitude or they want some of the benefits from training at altitude and they live at sea level, then breath holds is a great way to unlock that. Thank you. Wow.
1: You make that sound so simple. Just do this and this will happen and it's it's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, so you you're talking a little bit about the the performance pathways I mean, obviously, you know, with what we do, we train, you know, some some elite athletes and athletes that that's going to serve a huge benefit for. But let's think about, too, you know, um, our, our normal clientele with the majority of us train. Um, is there a difference between what you're doing on the performance level versus the health and wellness level when we're talking about the pathways itself?
2: Yeah, so I think the health and wellness is one, restoring functional breathing patterns, two, then starting to play around with, Um, breathing to help us relax and calm the mind, which is very common, but then a functional breathing pattern within exercise. So if you think about breathing in and out through your nose with a natural pause, you should be able to do that up until around 85% of VO2 max. And to give you an idea of what level that is, most marathons are run at probably that or just below. So you should be able to really, exercise and compete just by using your nose. And you think about what's the benefit to a client to do that. So we understand that you're going to deliver more oxygen to the cell, more oxygen to the tissue. And we understand that tissue does really well with oxygen, like it feeds it, it nourishes it, either from a performance point of view or recovery point of view. So that's a good thing. The second thing is that if we start to breathe more functionally throughout the day, whether it be at rest or exercise, it really influences how we breathe at night and how we breathe at night then influences how recovered and well we feel and that influences the quality of our next day. So just for, for our clients and just even for any person who, who is just interested in feeling a bit better, functional breathing adds so many benefits that it can start to alter the way that you feel and think the next day and the next day after that, because the more you breathe with your mouth, the less your nose functions. And people will say, I have allergies or I have a deviated septum and it drives them towards more mouth breathing. The more you breathe with your mouth, the more the nose switches off. The more the nose switches off, the more problems you're going to have with respiratory tract infections, allergies, problems with sleep, sleep apnea. So it really, really is important that anyone, including all our clients, that can try and breathe more functionally. And if we can get them to breathe more functionally during the sessions that we have during exercise, it just accelerates the adaptation because when you start to train, whether it be resistance training or cardio training, and you're breathing with your nose, the increase of CO2 actually accelerates. So if it's even a walk or a jog or a bike, you're starting to just accelerate the adaptation. So you're actually taking your client from a functional breathing pattern that they can do seated or lying down to in real life scenarios. So when they're walking around, they're doing their gardening, like they're not working out with us, you're starting to retrain the system to be a functional breather, which is gonna have a whole host of benefits physically and mentally.
0: Now, for those of you who just joined us, we've had some amazing content so far from Michael Watts from the Performance Institute at Under Armour talking about advanced breathing techniques. And, Mike, I know you've trained boxers, and I've trained some MMA fighters, and it's very common you hear the term, he's a mouth breather, like when they become fatigued. So I don't think people necessarily that are the announcers understand the science behind it. Or same thing in the fourth quarter of a football game, you see people with their hands on their hips and they've just shut off their functional breathing. So that's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up.
2: Yeah, you, you can see that. Like we say, people are gassed and they start using the mouth. And I think an important factor as well with, when we think about that in terms of the biomechanics, the diaphragm is a muscle. And as we're breathing, it's working and it's and it's doing its job. Like any muscle, it's got an eccentric, concentric, isometric action the faster we start to breathe, it places more demand. So imagine this muscle's working harder and harder and harder and harder. And like any muscle, it needs it needs blood. It needs oxygen. So if that becomes fatigued quicker because you're over-breathing or breathing too fast, too hard, and that could be running, boxing. It could be in the gym working out. The blood will come from the legs or from the arms and feed the diaphragm. That's where we start to see added fatigue in our athletes because – they just have overtax the diaphragm, they breathe too much, they go into that mouth breathing, they lower the amount of CO2, they can't get the oxygen in, and it just has this real big knock-on effect. So we we see our athletes being gassed, but what we want to do is delay that response because it will happen. Like there's a there's a point when we talk about minute ventilation when we get into some of the, the physiology of breathing, when we talk about how many breaths you're taking per minute, um, how much air you're breathing, and it gives us this minute ventilation there is a point where we have to switch to the mouth all we're trying to do is delay that delay that delay that so we're as efficient as possible in our breathing
1: nice well so you know when you're talking about you know um being able to analyze and then we're switching over i mean i'm are you using just visually you know watching someone do this or are there certain modalities that are out there and then of course, I'm gonna piggyback that along with, is there one modality that's better than another um, while, while we're talking along those lines?
2: Um, so I, I think what's really interesting is if we know the session that we're about to put on for a client is supposed to be low intensity or aerobic, they should be able to breathe in and out with the nose. And that could be a cure or a challenge to say, okay, we're gonna do this session, whether it be maybe aerobic, we're working in zone one, zone two, even maybe zone three, I want you to just breathe in and out with your nose. And if you can't maintain that, I need you to slow down. So that's one interesting thing we can start to do with our clients to say, how do I program the breathing whilst they're still training with me? And if you notice as the trainer, the switch to the mouth, just remind them like, okay, switch back to the nose, switch back to the nose. If they can't maintain it, slow down or take a little bit of an extra rest. So it's a really good way to program within session if it's low intensity. And what you will observe as the practitioner is that same session costs less in terms of the breathing economy. So as they start to become adapted and they start to become more functional in the breathing, they'll be able to stay breathing in and out with the nose either longer into the session or throughout the entire session. Again, If the session becomes a little bit anaerobic or becomes high intensity no problem for them to switch to the mouth to off gas a bit of co2 absolutely fine but the more we can introduce the functional breathing just remind them in and out through the nose natural pause if you can keep it quiet keep it slow keep it light the the better and that can be during a resistance session it can be it can be for with an anaerobic sorry an aerobic session and just keep reminding them because They'll keep switching to where they want to be, but you as the practitioner just have to remind them. It's no different to any other cue you're going to give them. When we think about, okay, we we want the foot, knees, and hips aligned, like breathe with your nose, like just add another cue. It's super simple. So you
0: hinted about sleeping. Can you dive into that a little bit more and talk about how you should breathe when you sleep?
2: I'm fascinated. I I think you're going to get my answer with your nose um, would be the answer. So I think many of us don't know how we sleep when we breathe. Um, And there's many, many factors that can influence that. If you're a dysfunctional breather in the day, you're going to be a dysfunctional breather at night. Like it's not going to switch. And by that, when we look at dysfunctional breathing, it's going to be with the mouth and there could potentially be some apneas involved. So a sleep apnea, apnea is just a holding of the breath. So sleep apnea is when you see people that they'll snore a lot or when they're breathing, you'll hear them and then they stop and then they go again. So let's think about functional breathing and how we promote that. The onboarding to sleep is really important. We know that if you're stressed physically or mentally, you're going to be more sympathetic. If you're more sympathetic, you're going to potentially be a little bit more dysfunctional in the breathing pattern. So onboard yourself with sleep with the six seconds, six breaths per minute to try and make yourself more parasympathetic. That'd be your first sort of check. Secondly, avoiding um, eating too late uh, and drinking alcohol because those things will promote dysfunctional breathing patterns. So that would be another check that would look at. Position of breathing is really important. I try and get people to sleep on the sides versus on the back. If you sleep on the back, once you get into sort of the, the the REM states where the body wants to go into that paralysis, muscles can relax, airways can close, and then it can start to promote more dysfunctional breathing. The other thing I like to look at is mouth taping. I would say do mouth taping once somebody's comfortable with that. So you try it in the day and don't go straight to it. And it is what it sounds like. take a piece of tape and it could be a piece of 3m micropore tape and there's other brands out there that do specific mouth tape and you just tape your mouth at night and that's it you forget about it and you go to sleep and it's a really really powerful tool if you wake up in the morning and the tape's off you've got a good chance that you're a dysfunctional breather because you're trying to go to rip it off like subconsciously because you want to go to the mouth if you wake up with a dry mouth, if you wake up not refreshed, there's a really good chance you're a dysfunctional breather. And if any of your clients uh, are using um, technology to track um, like the rings or the bracelets and the tracking respiratory rate, again, it's another really good way to see like how somebody sleeps. Is it a really high respiratory rate? Is it sort of a normal respiratory rate and think it should be around 12 to 15? And if it's higher than 15, then we're sort of getting towards more dysfunctional states. So super simple. Try and get them to breathe with their nose. Mouth tape if you have to. But think about how you onboard yourself into sleep. Because if you're stressed through high-intensity exercise, psychological stress, um, the nutrition that we take in, it's going to probably tip you into that more dysfunctional state of breathing.
1: Interesting. When those of you guys that are joining us on the master instructor Roundtable, uh, marty miller and i have a special guest mr mike watts on talking about advanced um breathing techniques and we've obviously talked about what it was we've gone through different assessment processes and ways to really try to help our clients as well as probably ourselves um, breathe better so we're more functional in our training as well as when we go to bed at night and i find it fascinating when you're talking about this taping and you're talking about you know um, you you know, like different apnea, apneas, um, what happens? And you may not know the answer to this. And I don't know if this is even related because again, I'm learning more and more from you, but when you hear people talk about sleep apnea and they've got their machines, you know, they blame it on their tongue, you know, blocking that, that airway. So if they're going through and, and we're trying to work with clients that do have sleep apnea and they're blaming it on the relaxation of their tongue, kind of closing that, that airway, with these different t- training techniques, will it help with that? Or is that something that's completely different?
2: Yeah, it will. So, so sleep apnea usually occurs um, in populations that uh, 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 tend to be more overweight or obese. And it, there's some really good correlations now between neck circumference, I can't quote it right now, and sleep apnea. If your neck circumference is a certain measurement, there's a good chance you're going to have a sleep apnea. and when people are saying about tongue position, 100% it's correct, but you can train that. So when we think about training muscles and, and sort of building that muscle memory, a functional breathing pattern, we also think about where you place the tongue. And we ask someone to place the tongue gently in the roof of the mouth with a tip of the tongue behind the front teeth. And the more you do that, it trains the tongue to be in the correct position and it opens up the airway. So if we think about dysfunctional breathing patterns, and there's a great book by um, James Nestor, and it talks a lot about breathing and how we've evolved. And we see that people's faces have changed shape because of dysfunctional breathing patterns and because of the foods that we eat. The jawline's getting smaller and it's getting more pointy and less square. And what's happening is there's less room in the mouth and we start seeing wisdom teeth being pulled out, et cetera, et cetera. And this area is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Then you layer in a dysfunctional breathing pattern. Tongue doesn't work properly because they don't breathe properly, which is part of it. They're a mouth breather. And then when they lie down and they go to sleep, everything relaxes and everything closes. And then they get into the sleep apnea world. So training functionally, and we think about holistically and integrate how we train, Training the body is obviously really, really important. We think about the posture and we think about making sure that we can have the shoulders set in the right position. We can pull in the right position. And when we do our screenings, if we see too much dysfunction around the the neck and the shoulder, we we know how to fix that as practitioners. Adding in functional breathing is starting to strengthen the tongue, the jaw, Uh, also starting to train the breathing pathway. So it's really, really important that we start thinking about not just the the sort of air that comes in and the air that goes out, thinking about how we set the head and setting the head in that position to allow the, the the airway to be open. So you can definitely go and train it and you can definitely make improvements. And I've had people that I work with who use CPAP machines and we've got them off it. But breathing is, is, is so important, but it's integrated and you can't expect just to do functional breathing. And it fixes everything. You've got to have a look at your movement efficiency, your breathing efficiency. You need to manage your stress levels. You need to think about how you nourish your body, how hydrated you stay, and you start to get on top of those things, and then you can start to see these improvements. There's like no magic bullet, and I think people are often trying to find that, but add the functional breathing into some of the things you're doing, and you'll start to see like this snowball effect and improvements.
0: Mike, this is fascinating. I could talk to you all day, but kind of like I would say my last question is, have you been able to carve out a business niche for yourself do you work with people just on breathing or is it just within your athletes that you train
2: yeah so so one thing that I was um, asked to do by the Oxygen Advantage and um, Patrick McKeown was become one of their master instructors and really that allowed me to teach instructors breathing so if if you have instructors who are interested to become an instructor then That sort of thing I do now of take them through the science, take them through the exercises, get them qualified in the oxygen advantage pathway, and then they can go and work with their their clients uh, with confidence that they're assessing and making the right intervention. So that's what really sort of set me up in in terms of my own breathing business. Um, I do take some clients on and we do some work with some some clients, whether it be from the business world um, or from the athletic world. Um, I always say all paths lead to Rome, like stress is stress, whether it's physical or or psychological and what can happen is that stress leads to dysfunction of breathing. So yeah, I, I, it's an area I'm really passionate about. I'm doing a lot of research and I'm starting to connect the dots between breathing and movement and mindset and and, and nutrition. And it's, it's something if people are interested in either wanting to become an instructor or wanting to be coached, then yeah, please, please reach out. And I'm sure, I'm sure we can share my, my contact details.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, you know, I have one final question and, and this is really just, just in general, but you know, with, with our audience, obviously being mainly personal trainers um, or, you know, performance coaches, what are the key takeaways that you would say? I mean, cause you've covered so much great information but you know we're we're all kind of taking it in and absorbing it. But if you had to say you know briefly what would be the the key points, your key takeaways, um, if you'd share that with us before we wrap up, that would be great.
2: Promote the use of uh, nasal breathing as much as possible in as many situations as you can, whether it be at rest or during activity. Try and go breathe in through the nose, breathe out through the nose, take a natural pause. Start there, and, and you're heading in a good direction. I love awesome. It. Well, Mike, we can't thank you enough. We were excited when
0: you agreed to come on. I know you've been able to provide a ton of useful and new information to people that, um, you know, are always trying to sharpen their skills. So thank you so much. And Wendy, any final comments?
1: No, I mean, uh, Mikey, do you want to share? Sorry. I call you Mikey, Michael, Mike. I call you everything, I guess, but <laughs> is there like a certain contact that you would like to share with everyone if they do want to reach out to you?
2: Yeah. So you, I, I'm Semi active on Instagram, so you can find my business Flow2 Plus, F L O 2 P L U S, so at Flow2 Plus. And um, probably the best way to see some of the research, uh, see some of the application, and, and obviously reach out to me if you're interested in either becoming an instructor yourself or, or having some coaching. So I, w- I would say head there, Wendy, um, okay. and, and get some resources. Awesome, thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Mike, Wendy.
0: It's always a great time. Hopefully we're giving out some great information. So for all of you that attended, we appreciate you coming on and we hope to see you next week. Take care.